um, we are in the second week of a series that we started last week entitled, Why Are We Here? And what we're doing is we're looking at why we are here as people, why Mountain View Fellowship is here as a church, what the specific vision that God has called us to, and then why the church in general exists, um, God's church, capital C, um, what, what, is it, what is it meant to do? And so we're kind of, I just kind of said that backwards. We're gonna, so each week we'll kind of look at kind of the purposes of the church, how Mountain View expresses those purposes, and then how we hope that you as a body of Christ, as a member of the body of Christ, will express these things in your life. And so today we're starting with worship. And I, the reason we're starting with this is I believe this is the primary thing we're called to. This is the primary thing that, that we are called to do throughout Scripture. Um, it, it's our first purpose. All throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, we are told to worship God, to exalt God, to praise God, to celebrate Him and His presence. Um, and as you look... <clears throat> Through the Old Testament and through the, through the Bible in general, we see that it's the intention of the heart that's important. So, so it's not the act and, and how it's expressed. It's, more, it's the intention of the heart. So we're going to look at this morning that w- throughout history, people have worshipped and expressed their worship in so many different ways. And it, that's changed throughout the times. And yet the intent has always been the same. In fact, in the Old Testament, we see that the, the prophets were constantly talking to the people about things that God wanted, and so often it had to do with worship. And, his, and what they dealt with was the intent. It wasn't that, oh, you're supposed to be using this kind of music, or you're supposed to be doing it this way, or doing it specifically in this place. It was, you're not doing it with the right heart, with the right intent. And so we, we worship, we exalt, and we praise God, um, but we do it with a heart of love. And, it, and, it, and truly, when we express worship, it is meant to come from our life that is lived for, for Him and in love with Him. So that's what we're going to look at today. So let's pray, and uh, we'll jump in. <coughs> Father God, I thank you for this opportunity that we can come and we can worship you, we can, we can bring everything before you, and God, so often we take for granted that you as the holy God invite us into your presence. Um, so God, as we look at worship this morning, I pray that we would remember um, that this is meant to be a way that we express our appreciation for that, that we express our love for you and our desire to see you at work in our life. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a key verse for this morning, and I'm gonna, it's gonna, we're going to put that up on the, the screen. Um, and in this verse, we see that really everything that we do in life, the entire instruction of the Bible as far as how we are to live, really comes down to this idea of love, which is why we talked, said last week, it, you know, you see on your bulletins when you come in, it says give all the love all. That's our... That is our kind of mission statement as a church. And um, we see here in this passage, Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 40, that we are called to love the Lord our God 
with everything that we have and to love others with everything. So, so let's, if, if you would, I'm going to ask you just to read this along with me. If, so if those of you that want to read it aloud, that would be awesome. And uh, we're going to start Matthew 22, verse 37 through 40. And it says this, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. <clears throat> so love is what worship is all about. So that's what we're going to look at today. And we're going to start by looking at kind of a history of worship. What has worship been throughout the ages? And to do that, we need to go all the way back to the Old Testament. And we see in the Old Testament that for over the 1,500 years of recorded history of the Old Testament, that, that worship changed. It started out with Abraham and his family, and Abraham was a nomad. And as a nomad, um, he built altars to God. So in different places where God appeared to him, or where he spoke to God, or God did a powerful work, Abraham would build an altar there. And he would sacrifice at that altar. And that altar would oftentimes stand and stay there. And for many generations, become kind of a place where people would go to worship and experience and be close to God. And then after that, <coughs> as we get to Moses, and he, as he was leading the Israelites through the wilderness, they had the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was where God's presence dwelt among the people. There's basically a traveling tent of worship, if you will. And, and everywhere that the God's people went, the tabernacle was there. And, and this was the center of their community. It was the center of all that they did. And God's presence dwelt there. And that's where they would go to worship. Then we get to Solomon's age where he built the temple. And the temple was a, just a grandiose splendor um, building. And just the, the most magnificent building in, in all of Jerusalem. And this was where people worshipped for about a little over 300 years. All the, all the Jews would go to worship at the temple for about 300 years until it was destroyed. And then once it was destroyed, eventually it was rebuilt again. And that temple, which was not nearly as glorious as the first one, was still now the place of worship. This is where the people worshiped. Even still to this day, that is where Jewish people go to worship. That's the center <clears throat> of Jewish worship. Um, even though now it's just a remnant, it's basically just a wall. You've probably heard it referred to as the Wailing Wall, and that, that wall is where many Jews will go to worship and, and pray. And I actually was there as a really powerful place and experience to be there, and I tried to find one of the pictures, but I didn't. So you don't get a picture. It was me with hair. It's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, but then we get to the New Testament. And in the New Testament, we see Jesus. Jesus recognized the temple as the center of worship because Jesus was a Jew. And as a Jew, that's where he worshiped. Now, we also see that he brought to the forefront and dealt with the issues that he saw in the worship of the temple. And he, he, he was angered by much of what he saw, but he still recognized that that was the central place of worship. You know, just like with the church today, Jesus still calls us to be the church and the church has all sorts of issues. And there's things about the church that Jesus does not like, right? But, but, we, but he, it's still what he recognizes as 
his body coming together to, to worship him. And so that's one of the key reasons. We don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, per se. You know, a lot of people get to that point where they're like, well, I'm not going to church because it's filled with people. That, well, of course it's filled with, that's why we invited you because you, you wouldn't be invited either if it wasn't filled with people that are, are messed up, right? And so, yes, it's filled with that and, and there's all sorts of uh, hypocrisy in the church and, there's all sorts of, and, and Jesus doesn't like that, yet... He still recognizes this as how we come together as his body. And so, so that's one of the key reasons why we, we constantly say, no, we are called to be come together and worship as the church. So, so Jesus recognized the temple, and yet when Jesus died on the cross, a very significant thing happened. The curtain in the temple was torn. And you may have read that as you're reading through the account of Jesus on the cross, and and unless you understand how important that curtain was, you really don't understand the magnitude of that event. See, God tore that curtain when Jesus died as a way of saying, now all people have connection to me. All people can, can come to me and, and relate to me. Because before that, that curtain was in the temple and it separated what was called the holy place from the holy of holies. And the Holy of Holies was where God's presence dwelt. And no one was allowed to go around that curtain. Only one priest once a year would go around that curtain to atone for the sins of the people. But other than that, nobody went there because nobody could actually have connection, communion with God at that level. But upon his son's death, he said, no, the atonement has been paid. And now there's no reason for a separation. And he tore that, that curtain. And so where there once was a great divide between us and God, Jesus paid that price. And he covered that divide. And that is the centrality of everything that we, of what we do and, and why we worship. Because Jesus paid the price and now we can come into the presence of God. So we, from that point on, we don't see Christ followers worshiping in a temple. You will see a couple places in Acts where they went and preached in the temple courts. What better place to preach, right? Place where people are looking for God and, and you go, they would go, so they would go and say, hey, all this stuff that we, you know, Jesus, Jesus has changed that. But they never went and, they, and worshiped in the temple. And never from that point on do we ever see in church and throughout Christianity, there's never been a need for a temple. Every other religion in some way has usually a, a temple. And there's the idea that that is the kind of the more holy place. That's where God's presence dwells. But one thing that separates Christianity from everything else is there is no one place that's more holy than the other. And that, that's why we, we, one of the reasons we take seriously that our lives should, should reflect Christ. Because he's with us at all times. You know, I mean, when you think about it, think about this. Let's just say we did believe in a holy place. Let's just say we believe this was a more holy ground than anywhere else. Would we allow pornography to just be showing here from the stage? No. We wouldn't. Why? Because we would say this is a holy place. Well, guess what? Guess where it's just as holy as this spot right here? Your computer. Your phone screens. Everywhere we go, it's, it's a holy place because God is there. He's, he's dwelling with us. 
And so worship now has changed in that, and we see that throughout the entire history of church. That we don't need to go to a place. We, we are with God at all times. And yet the church continued to gather. Why? Because we are still called to live within community. If I'm always with God, why do I need to come together with, with you guys, right? Because we're called to come together with community. We're called to worship together. We're called to lift one another up. We're called, and we're going to talk about that next week, so we'll get more into that next week. <clears throat> and then as we look historically through the church over the last 2,000 years, like I said, there's never been a temple. There's never been a need for a temple. However, worship and, and the, way it's ex- the way we express worship when we come together has always been different. There's been different ways in which that's done. And we see it, it, it's been done through singing, through readings and meditation, through prayer, communion, through teaching. And at different points in history, the church put more emphasis on different things. Doesn't mean that one was more right than the other, just the way the culture was. Um, especially music, though. Music has caused so many issues in the church over the years. Preaching styles have caused issues as well. But, but people get so just passionate about the styles of music and it causes a lot of differences and arguments in church and I think a lot of that is because music really in many ways is kind of a we make a soul connection with music I mean I like certain kinds of music and I can get very passionate about that music and that music can just bring out certain things in me and and so as a result we get passionate about it, but but we have and there's okay it's okay to be passionate about it but we have to remember not one style is any better more important more holy more appreciated by God than another. What is important and what continues to be important throughout history has been the intent of our heart. Is our heart showing that we keep God first? When we look at the things that God got upset with the people about in the Old Testament through the prophets, what we see is that he was never upset with the style, what he was upset with was the intention of the hearts. That they were worshiping other things before him. That they had forgotten about him. That they weren't celebrating his presence within them. That, that they were taking credit for themselves, not giving him the credit. So, a lot, there's a lot of misunderstandings about worship. And so, I want to spend a couple of minutes, just, we'll, we'll talk about those, and when we'll talk about those within the context of how we express worship as the community of Mountain View Fellowship. See, worship has nothing to do with style. Make sure we understand that. Worship has nothing to do with style. The style or of expression that we prefer when, we, when we're expressing worship has a lot more to say about who we are than it does about who God is and what God likes. It has a lot more to say about what, what we like. And a lot of it is the fault of church leadership because it might seem like semantics, but we get kind of caught in saying things that lead to wrong conclusions. For instance, when you guys, when we come together, in fact, I caught Josh, he was actually trying to say it differently. I was like, oh, good for you, Josh. Um, when we come together as a church body, when we begin to sing, what do we call that? We call that our time of, anyone? Worship. We call that our time of worship. Guess what? That's no more worship than right now. That's no more worship than when we were greeting each other. That's no more worship than when we're praying. 
See, when everything we're doing together, when we come together as the body of Christ, is to proclaim God, to glorify God, and that's worship. It's all worship. So that's a misunderstanding that people have about worship. It's not music, it's not singing, it's not any one act. Instead, rather, it's, it's all of those things as an expression of, of our worship to God. Worship is anything that gives pleasure to God. Anything that pleases God is worship. And God is pleased when we surrender to him and are transformed into his likeness. That's why we live lives that please him. Because that's what, that's what pleases him. That's worshiping him. We can sing all we want. We can say all we want. We can go to church all we want. We can do all these different things. Doesn't matter. Because worship him is, worshiping him is pleasing him, living in such a way that we please him. So at Mountain View Fellowship, our goal has always been to help people understand that the greatest way that we express worship to God is through living our lives in such a way that pleases him. That by we live our lives in surrender to him and learning to be more like him, being transformed in his likeness. When we do that, that's worship. And so everything we do, we're constantly trying to point people to that, point people to that teaching, point people to that understanding, point people to that moving in their life. <coughs> we get a lot of this from Romans chapter 12. So if you have one turn to Romans chapter 12, um, I would encourage you to read verses 1 through 8 later this week. Um, we're just going to focus on 1 through 2. And you've heard this passage before. Actually, I think Dana used it a couple weeks ago. But it says this, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You hear that? It says, therefore, offer yourselves as living sacrifices to God. That's worship. Now, you've heard me say before, whenever there's a therefore in Bible, you always ask, what's it there for? Right? And so in chapter 11 of Romans, we see that he's going on and on about how awesome God is, how God cares for us, and how exalted God is. And so now he's saying, therefore, because that's who God is, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. That's how we worship. Now, that made a lot of sense to the Jews because, remember, they, they presented sacrifices. They actually presented living sacrifices. They, they, they would shed blood to, as the atonement for their sins. And Paul's saying, no, don't worry about that. Worry about living your life every day, surrendering it, killing yourself, in a sense, to God, give, giving it to him. Not killing what's, what, your, your sinful nature, allowing his nature to live in you so that, so that you are living for him. That's your spiritual act of worship. And he goes on, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, what he's saying is, look, because God is so amazing, then offer yourselves to him as an act of worship. And every day as you continue to offer yourself to him, you will become more and more like him. You will begin to be transformed into his likeness. And ultimately, when we are with him in eternity, we will be in his likeness. But it, that process can begin now. 
of allowing ourselves, the surrendering ourselves to him. And then he goes on, verses 3 through 11. I'm not going to read all that, but he's basically saying, hey, and then whatever you do, do that as a sacrifice to him. Whatever you're good at, do that for him. So maybe you're good at teaching. Teach for him. If you're, if you're good at, at serving, serve for him. If you're good at speaking, speak for him. If you're good at building things, build it for him. If you're good at do finances, do finances for him. If you're good at being a great mom or a great dad, do it for him. That's essentially what he's saying. Whatever you're gifted in, come together as the body and, and, and build each other up and let's all seek to build him up in glory. See, the church for centuries has been disagreeing about the way we express worship. The way we do it when we come together. But the problem is there's nothing wrong with any of the expressions. All the expressions are valid ways to worship him. And like I said, it has much more to do with what you prefer than it does with what God prefers. <clears throat> um, see, some, some people enjoy very expressive music and very expressive body postures when they're, when they're singing. Um, I, I've seen people, you know, I've been to worship services where they, they do ribbon dancing, and spend, one of the youth was giving me a hard time about saying, I'm going to start dancing with a ribbon. I, 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 I've been to worship services where they do that, and I've been to worship services where everyone in the Everyone here has, a, has an instrument, like cymbals and tambourines, and, and people worship that way. I've been to worship services where there's no instrument whatsoever, and everyone just sings with, I think you train yourself to have a beautiful voice when you do because I, I mean, I'm like, oh my gosh, everyone sings amazing. Um, but but um, I've been to worship services like that. I've been to worship services where there's no singing whatsoever. I've been, I, they, they're all equally valid expressions to God. There's not one way that's better than the other. In fact, there's many forms mentioned about it. Here's just real quick. I listed all the things. I just did a quick search. Here's all the ways I found. Confessing, singing, shouting, standing, kneeling, bowing, dancing, making a joyful noise, testifying, musical instruments of all types, raising hands. I even found dancing naked. <laughs> right? David, David danced naked before the Lord. I, I would recommend that. The Lord might like it, but the police won't, just so you know. In your room, your living room, I don't know, whatever. Shut the blinds. All right, no one wants to be seeing that. Okay. But the point is, there's so many different ways to express. Not one of them is better than the other. The most important thing is our expression of our heart to God are expressing a heart of love for him. We had our worship uh, evening, uh, worship service on Friday night to kind of kick off the prayer night, and just a few of us in the room, and we did some time of sharing scripture, and uh, I shared a scripture that then after I shared it and was kind of thinking about it, I was like, oh, well, it fits so well with the message from Psalm 51. David says this, he says, do, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, God, you do not despise. Now, was David saying, oh, we should never make sacrifices? He was a Jew. He was a good Jew. He made sacrifices. That's part of what they did. But he's saying, that's not what's important. That's not what you're desiring, God. You're desiring to know my heart is for you. 
And if I'm just making those sacrifices without having the right heart, then it's just a, God, God calls it an annoying noise. Do you know that he calls our worship to him an annoying noise when it's not coming from the right heart? He doesn't care how beautifully you sing. It's an annoying noise to him if it's not coming from the right place, the right heart. So at MVF, our goal is always to coach people into understanding that all that we do as a church, everything is meant to worship him. When, when we teach and learn, that's a, that's a time of worship. When we sing, that's a time of worship. When we pray, that's a time of worship. When we give, that's a time of worship. When we take communion, everything we do. <clears throat> so I know some of you are like, yeah, okay, so what, what's our philosophy on style? Well, here's our philosophy on style. Our style is based on the fact that part of our philosophy as a church is we see what happens on Sunday morning as a time of us being hosts. What do I mean by that? We are always encouraging you to invite your friends to church. And I know so many of you that have brought so many people to church. Some of you know the Lord today because someone invited you to church here. You have a relationship with the Lord because someone brought you here. And for whatever reason, Sundays is a time that still in our culture, people go, well, I'll try that. I'll check that out. Someday that might change. Someday there might be other ways that's the most effective way. And there's, there's other ways that are effective. I, that's true. We do outreaches. We do things. But the reality is, is most people oftentimes come to belong before they believe. What I mean by that is they come to a church to say, you know, I want to check it out. I want to see what it's like. I don't go for everything you're saying. And there's probably some of you in this room today. That's awesome. We're glad you're here. But they say, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to go for all that, but I, I want to know. And as long as that's the case, and I don't know how else Bill's to say this, we're going to do everything possible not to weird them out. That, that's, that's just true. Because the reality is, sure, you want to express yourself by ribbon dancing? That's weird. That's cool if you want to do it, but that's kind of weird to do it publicly. We're not going to have a time for running around dancing with ribbons. I love you if that's what you like to do. Invite me over. I'll watch you do it. Cool. As long as you don't do the, the last part with it, we're good. Um, you, some of you know what I'm talking about. All right, the, um, but, but at the same time, we're not going to, our music, I, I, I don't know about you, I don't, I'm not a church person. I don't know if you know this. I didn't grow up in church. I, 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 I was at church maybe, maybe a hundred times before I was an actual pastor. Um, so I, I, was, I, did, I was in church stuff, kind of grew up around church things sometimes, but didn't go to church. And one of the reasons is I thought it was I thought music was so boring. I I I I I'm a, I'm a music lover. I love music, and and the reality is, is that most church music, if you're talking about non-church people that don't know church music and don't have a love for for the words and everything that we're singing, if you're talking if you're going to do traditional church music, it bores them to tears. And guess what? It's not about us. It's about we're hosts. See, when I host, you know what, when I host a dinner, have you ever done this? We have a bunch of people over to your house. Not just, not like a, you know, two couples where you're, but you have a bunch of people over. And at the end of the night, after hosting a dinner for a bunch of people, I'll, I'll kind of go, I didn't eat. You ever done that? Like, like, I never actually sat down and actually ate. I maybe picked here a little bit there what I could get, but I was so busy making other people feel comfortable and loved and, and have a good time that I wasn't worried about, oh, I'm going to eat this. Same thing goes with Sunday mornings. See, 
Our philosophy is that we're hosts. And if you're a Christ follower, we don't care if you get fed here on Sunday morning. I'll be honest. I know that some of you are like, oh, he's, what? I, I don't. Why? Because you should be feeding yourself during the week. If you're a Christ follower, you, you are responsible. I am not responsible for your spiritual growth. Find a place in the Bible that shows me that. What I am responsible for is guiding you to have a mature, responsible attitude as a believer. And part of that is that when you gather with not, and, 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 and be there for people that are not believers, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about all of us coming together so that, so that people can feel comfortable coming to a place where they get to, they get to know more about who Jesus is and belong so that someday they can believe and someday we can celebrate that they're going to be with us in heaven. And so, so as long as that's the case, I say all that to say, well, our philosophy of worship style is, we'll see. Because it's going to be whatever is the kind of music, as close as we can get to the kind of music that the average non-Christian listens to. Now, sure, you might go, well, this isn't what I, I mean. I like Metallica. We don't do Metallica style, okay? So because why? Maybe three of us or eight of us in this room would be like, all right, you know? The, the, rest, the rest would be like, oh, gosh, you know? Okay, I, I, so, so we don't do that. So, we, we, you know, there's got to be some sort of, you know, current likability but so i'll be honest we kind of stay as close as we can in style to what's popular music why because who cares guess what people make hymns out to be people like hymns are some holy thing do you know how hymns started they were bar tunes they were german bar tunes in the 15 1600s and because what used to do is you after after work you go to a pub and they'd get around a piano or whatever and they'd sing and if you listen to the styles, it's, it's, it's the same styles as German bar tunes. And, and so they said, hey, let's write the music like that. So there's not one style. So the style that we do as a church will change as styles change. Guess what? That means someday, in about prob- I'm guessing in about 15 years, I'm going to hate our style of music. I, I, I I don't know about you, I turn on pop, if I turn on pop radio, I can't listen to it. I'm like, what, did, is anyone playing an instrument? I don't, I don't hear, I don't know what's happening, it's just a bunch of noises. So, but that's the reality, that's what happens as, as we go, because the style isn't important. So I hope that makes sense, I hope we're gathering, grabbing that. What's important is the intent, our heart. And so as long as at Mountain View we see that Sunday morning is still a time where non-believers are coming to hear about the Lord, We're going to do everything we can to make it feel comfortable. We don't serve coffee because it's spiritual. We serve coffee because it's a way to make people feel comfortable and welcomed and accepted because it's what they know. And it keeps you awake. That's good too. So, moving on. What does that mean? That means everything we do is worship. Not just this. When you serve as a greeter, you're worshiping the Lord. When you work in the children's ministry, you're worshiping the Lord. When you, build, when you make the coffee, you're worshiping the Lord. When you, when you just come with an attitude of, I'm gonna, I'm gonna reach out to people I don't know at church, you're worshiping the Lord. When you go to your community group, you're worshiping the Lord. Every single thing we do. So I'll close with this, this last point, and we'll get through quick. How do we worship as individuals? 
Okay, so I get it, Shane. We're going to stay current with the, what's happening so that we can, we can draw people in, and it's still a way that we can express worship um, to God when we sing. That's awesome. And everything I do at church is a part of worship. But how do I worship as an individual? <clears throat> well, I go back to Romans chapter 12. By offering your bodies daily as living sacrifices. That means this. That means that every activity you do can be transformed into an act of worship when you surrender it to God. Being a mom every day is an act of worship. Being a dad every day, a husband, a wife, every day is an act of worship. Going to work is an act of worship if you're doing it with the right attitude. See, we're called to do it with, when I go to work, I'm gonna go with the best attitude I can go. I'm gonna be the best employee I can be. I'm, I'm gonna serve hard, I'm gonna work hard. Maybe you're the boss. I'm going to work hard so that I can take care of uh, these other employees because that's an act of worship for me to love them by, by helping them support their families. You know, what it, whatever it is, what, everything we do, as long as we surrender it to him, we're called to surrender to him, offering ourselves, living every day, surrendering our love through our heart, soul, and mind. So I'm going to go through these heart, soul, and mind real quick. But I want to say this because I'm going to move through them fastly. I want to, quickly. I want to say this before we get into them. Don't hear this and kind of go, "Oh man, I'm I'm so horrible. I don't do all these." Don't don't hear this and walk away guilty and feeling like I'm not who God wants me to be. None of us are yet. We'll never do this fully until we're with Him in heaven. Okay. And all guilt does is shame you. See, guilt leads to shame, which leads to a cycle of continuing down the process. Now. I would encourage you, though, to be convicted. To be convicted to say, man, I want, I want to grow in that. I, I want to I turn that over a little bit more to him every day. So, heart. We worship God with our heart. We love him with our heart. It, Jesus says that to love him with our heart, mind, and, our heart, soul, and mind. And that word heart means to, in the Greek, kind of means our innermost being. We, we love God in our innermost being. And when I think about that, I think about a good friend. You know, that is someone that, I mean, and some of us don't even know what a good friend is. Some of you, you know, though, you've had that friend that, man, they've stood by you through, hor- like, disagreements. You guys don't see eye to eye on things. Um, you, you, you've gone through really difficult times, but you know that you are there for each other. Hopefully, maybe it's your spouse. But a good friend, someone that you, you love to your core, even if you've, you haven't spent time with them in, in a long time, you, you just love them. John 15, 4 says this. It says, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. God calls us to remain in him. And I don't know about you, but when I'm with a good friend, I just want to stay there. You ever hang out with a friend that you don't get to spend much time with? And sometimes you just, I, I've done that to the point where I, I, I want to stay so long that the next day is really bad because I'm like, I'm really tired and I just can't, because I'm just having such a good time being with them. And that's what Jesus wants. He actually says in that same chapter, verse 15, he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. He wants us to be friends. The second is our soul. And the soul in the Greek there denotes passion. 
to be fervent for God. Listen to these two Psalms, 119.20. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. 84.2. My soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord. Hear that? that? That yearning, that longing, being consumed. See, we get consumed in our life with so many things, with hobbies and sports, cars, making money. We, we yearn for people sometimes. I know sometimes I yearn for a really good meal. But how often do we get consumed with God? Do we yearn for God? That's, that's what he wants from us. He wants us to yearn for him, to be consumed by him. For some reason, we feel like we shouldn't, it, it's weird to show passion about our relationship with God. But you know, um, I, I, whenever I think about that, I think about sports. Next, next week, we are gonna have more people coming together in this nation to worship than any other time. It's true. Any other time of the year. I don't know what else you'd call it. I guarantee you, if anyone from ancient times came and watched what happens on Super Bowl Sunday, they would say, well, there were, this is worship. I guarantee you, that, that's exactly how it would be described. It's a time where we come together, we're celebrating, we're cheering, we're, we, we, we feel passionate about it, we're excited. For it, 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 it's, it's a time of worship for our nation. I don't know, it's an, it, and, and I'm saying this as a football lover, I love football. But the reality is, it's one, it's one of those areas I, I keep in check. But why is it we can get so passionate? About, my wife thought I was nuts two weeks ago when... The, the Vikings scored the last five seconds of, of the game, and it, you know, I, I, I like what, jumped out of the chair. I was like, oh my God, I'm not even a Vikings fan. <laughs> but it was just such an amazing play. I just got so nuts. Why is it I can show passion about that and not get excited and passionate about what God does? God wants us to display passion for him. Third, our mind. <clears throat> And in the Greek, that basically means our thoughts and our plans. Are we taking our thoughts captive for him? Or are we just allowing ourselves to think about all the junk in this world that diverts us from him? Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. Do you, do, do you find yourself, you ever put yourself in check throughout the day and kind of go, what am I thinking about? What am I allowing myself to think about? What, what kind of YouTube videos am I watching during my breaks or whatever I'm doing or Facebook? What, what am I putting into my head that's feeding my thoughts? How long do I allow the fantasy about that person at work I, I don't like to, you know, there's some sort of misery happening in their life? You know, how, how, what, what kind of, whatever it is that you do, how, how long do you allow that stuff to fill your head versus, versus turning your thoughts over to God? And your plans. How often is God a major part of our plans? What we are looking at and doing and thinking about for our future. I'll tell you, in a few weeks, we, you know, we're starting the building campaign. And in a few weeks as we start that, we're going to be asking you to let God interrupt your plans. Because we're going to be asking everyone to, to give financially to a building. Because we believe that God is doing something. And it, it, this is a necessary thing for the next step of the future of, of what God's doing through Mountain View. But I guarantee you, to give to that's going to be an interruption of your plans. I don't know anyone 
who just is like going around going, you know, I've got like an extra 20 grand that's just laying around. I don't know what to do with it. I'm just trying, I don't know if I could think of something. I don't know anybody that has that. If you do, please come see me. Um, <laughs> um, but, but we have plans for our money. Now, some of you, that's not going to be an issue because you've already gotten that discipline. You understand to turn your plans for your finances over to the Lord. And, and you're, you're going to surprise. I know there's going to be people in the, go to the church that totally surprise the church leadership who are going to go, whoa, I would have never guessed that that person would be able to come, up, come forward with that. And you're willing to make sacrifices in your life and you'll, you, you think about how to do things. Like, for most of us, that, that's going to be a difficult step. And some of you right now are already bothered by it. I guarantee you, there's, someone, there's a couple in this room like, oh gosh, I'm going to look at my money. Oh. And then we get stressed out about it. Why? Well, I would challenge you this. The reason that stresses us out is because our plans are more important than God's plans. And Jesus says, no, love me, meaning turn over your plans to me and let me figure it out. And a lot of people, we get upset because we think, well, if I turn my plans over to God, he's going to ruin my life. He's going to take my fun away. He's going to take my toys away. He's going to take, take, guess what? God loves you. And as a loving father, he wants to give you better gifts than you've ever given yourself. And you will be amazed what happens when you bless God and the blessings he gives. I'll close with this. As we move forward as a church, we want every single person who comes into contact with Mountain View Fellowship to know that our goal is that we become people who worship God out of sincere hearts, souls, and minds. And that we are devoted to him in love. Our style is going to change. It's going to change throughout the years. As we seek to reach the world around us, we will allow it to change. But our intent will never change as we will always desire to point people to glorifying him and loving him with all of our hearts, souls, and minds. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your love for us and your, God, just the fact that you invite us into your presence. I thank you for that, God. It's, it's so easy to forget that. It's so easy to take that for granted. It's, we, we don't really understand what that meant because we, we've always had it. And so God, forgive us for those times we, just, we take for granted that you, the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the king of kings and lords of lords, not just says that we can come to you, but you want us to. You invite us in. You encourage us. You want to spend time with us. And you want to pour into us to transform us and change us. Give us the strength, God, to to see past all the things that this world wants to distract us with and, and to turn ourselves over to you and to every day seek to surrender so that we might be transformed into your likeness. In your name.